0: Just a note to let you know this episode contains topics that some may find triggering. If you need support, please head to the show notes where you can find a range of mental health support contacts for both Australia and worldwide. Welcome to Behind the Smile with Ash Butters, a podcast designed to reveal the truth behind the masks we wear. Together, we look to demystify the human mind and its behaviours in relation to mental health, trauma and addiction. My name's Ash and I'll be your host as we uncover the real stories of people's pain and the steps they've taken to live a life of freedom in recovery. From sobriety to spirituality, join me each week as we uncover the reasons why people seek recovery and how their lives have changed by living one day at a time. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Smile. It's so good to have you here. Today I'm jumping in for another solo episode and the reason is there is a very special celebration on the way for me. So full transparency, I'm recording this episode 1 week before my 4 year sober anniversary. So God willing I make it to the 24th of February and yeah wow I can't believe it like it's a huge milestone you know I think this happens for me every anniversary or every milestone you know as you start to clock up some years is that I I reflect and I I think back to where I started and the journey that I've been on and what really resonated for me this year is the fact that every year has looked really, really different. And you guys know that this podcast is all about showing up in authenticity and stepping out from behind the smile. And I know that I need to do that more than anything. You know, I have to hold myself accountable. And I hope that in showing my vulnerability and being honest with all of you that can support you. To be able to do that in your own lives. So, that's really the driving force behind why I wanted to be here today and why I wanted to do this solo episode with you all. So, it's definitely to celebrate this four year milestone, but it's also a little bit of a look back at the journey and what it took to get here. And trigger warning, I will be sharing some stuff from my past, which some people may find disturbing. And if that's the case, there are support contacts in the episode show notes. But I I really want to share the the good and the bad. I want to share the reality of what this is like. So I hope, you know, whether or not you're on a recovery journey or a transformation journey of some sort, that there will be parts of this story that you can relate to, that you can see yourself in so that you know you're not alone. So without any further delay, let's, let's kick it off. Let's start from the beginning. So in preparation for this, I actually decided to go back and look at some of my journals and I had forgotten that I'd actually started a journal on the first day that I went into sobriety. So anyone watching the video episode, I'm holding it up now, that is my my journal from, from the very first day that I went into rehab and it's actually dated the 24th of February, 2020. So I thought, why not read you an excerpt from my diary on that day. So here we go. It says, day one, on the road to recovery. Today I was admitted to SPP to complete a 22 night inpatient program. While I sort of knew what to expect, I'd been taken aback by just how real it all is. My bed is a hospital bed and I've been put in a room opposite the nurse station. Supposedly I stay here until they think I'm well enough to move further away. I've been put on a detox plan, which came as a bit of a surprise. Apparently, drinking a bottle of red wine plus per night. So funny how, like, I still couldn't admit to myself just how much I was drinking. A bottle of wine plus per night is considered quite a lot. It's funny how easily and quietly dysfunction crept into my life. It's almost dinner time, five fifteen. Thankfully, as I'm starving but I think the restrictions around eating times will be really good for me as I know I use food to distract from negative feelings. So interesting to see like there is a glimmer of self-awareness there. I'm really keen to get out and join the beach walk tomorrow, but I haven't had clearance yet from the doctor. And then I obviously come back from dinner and I start writing again. It says, just finished dinner. I had chicken, potato, peas, broccoli, and a bread roll. Oh, and a salad too. So what was interesting is the rehab that I went to, every rehab is different, but South Pacific private, you're not allowed sugar, uh, you're not allowed coffee and you're certainly not allowed cigarettes. So I was detoxing from alcohol, but I was also a smoker at the time and so I was detoxing off that as well and sugar. So it was quite, quite intense. I then continue and I say, okay, just had to stop writing so the nurse could come and give me an injection in my butt cheek. It was called thiamine. And it's a B1 vitamin that helps your brain function when detoxing. I'm on observation every two hours, which means the nurse checks my blood pressure and heart rate. Good news is my blood pressure has gone back to normal after being quite high when I was admitted this morning. I've also just been given 10 milligram of Valium, which I think is another tool to help with the detox. Everyone here is super friendly. I haven't been assigned a group yet. This will happen in the next couple of days. But a woman called Jess, I have changed names for privacy here. Jess has taken me under her wing, despite only arriving a few days ago. Then at dinner, I met Sally. She's been here for four weeks, and this is her second time at the hospital. She taught me about identifying which is where you state your name and what you're recovering from. Her list was really long, and I felt for her. She was very open with her story. She was gang raped at 15, which triggered a spiral into drug and alcohol addiction. Half an ounce of weed per day, as well as heavy ice use. I knew I'd hear people's stories, but wasn't expecting to meet someone with such a big story so soon. I really hope she can get well. We also had our first peer group session after dinner. It's a quick session where you check in with one another on how you're feeling, as well as a high and a low from the day and what you're grateful for. is really interesting. That was my first introduction to writing gratitude lists, which I actually didn't realize I'd started so early on in my recovery. It was really amazing to read back on that. I then continue to write. At 7.30pm, I've been selected to attend a DAS meeting, which stands for depression, anxiety, support, which I'm looking forward to. Following that, we have supper and then half an hour of mindfulness, which will be awesome, I think. Again, That introduction to mindfulness and meditation was all starting to happen from that very first day. Then I continue to write, I forgot to say, my low was being admitted and realizing I'm actually very sick, talking about the highs and lows from the day. This is a real psychiatric hospital, but that has also become my high because I'm feeling hopeful that I'm in the right place. In that moment, I felt guilt, shame, and joy. Wow. Then I continue to write. I've just finished the DAS group. Some of it was quite interesting, but a lot of it I didn't resonate with. So when you are in rehab, often they'll send you to different kinds of meetings, different 12-step meetings, because of course, you do have the, the, the well-known meetings like AA and NA and GA for gambling, but then there are all these other meetings as well. There's OA for overeaters, there's DAS for depression, anxiety, there's CODA for codependency. So I was taken to a few different meetings while I was there, but I definitely resonated most with, with being in AA and NA. I then write, for supper, I had a pear, some Vegemite saladas, and a chamomile tea. I then had my OBS again, followed by a top-up of Valium. The nurse said they're trying to sedate me, So she gave me 20 milligrams and will wake me in four hours for another dose. Hopefully I don't wake up too groggy. Not sure why I was worried about that. Probably had some sort of worry about the perception that I was giving off perhaps. (laughs) Funny, isn't it? Like my life was literally crumbling to the ground and I think I was still worried about how I was presenting that total denial and needing to hide behind a smile, right? I then write, I'm going to read my Al-Anon book now until I fall asleep. So Al-Anon is another 12-step program and that's for people who have a loved one or are in relationship with somebody who's in addiction. And then I finish saying, looking forward to tomorrow and hoping I get put in a group. My roommate is snoring now. FML, fuck my life. (laughs) Wow, that's crazy. It's interesting. Like I feel reading back on that, I still had, like there was still me in there. There was still that little bubbly ash somewhere finding some sort of hope, but also probably a little bit detached from just how serious the situation was and where I'd ended up. And so the next entry I want to share with you guys is day eight. So on day eight, I wrote... I don't know what's hit me today, but I think my walls are starting to crumble. Day eight with no alcohol or distractions, such as cigarettes, and I'm starting to feel everything. I experienced intense anxiety and chest pain after lunch, which is the first time I've had those symptoms in many, many months. Then this afternoon, I received a letter from my dad and a message from my mum, which completely set me off. Oh God, it's going to set me off now reading that. I cried on the bathroom floor as I read and reread Dad's letter. We had two group members discharged today, so I was able to experience a stone ceremony. I'm not quite sure why I was so emotional, as both men were in changes last week, and I didn't get a chance to know them too well. And so then a few days later, I actually went through this process of writing a timeline. And if you've listened to my previous solo episodes, particularly the earlier ones, you'll know that I talk about this process and what it uncovered for me. But I reread this story. And again, this was really where the foundations and the inspiration of this podcast began. But I'm going to read you this entry here. I'm feeling pretty angry right now. I shared my timeline with my group this afternoon and Stephanie, who was my therapist, suggested I go on a no smiling contract so a contract in rehab was if you were eliciting a behavior that you weren't meant to so it might have been no smoking or no people pleasing then you would be put on a contract to hold you accountable to that behavior and so she suggested that I go on a no smiling contract because when I read my timeline which was full of these traumatic events apparently I smiled the entire hour that I was reading that through. I go on to say, my eyes immediately welled up with tears as I thought of a reality where I couldn't smile and engage with others. This has been my number one coping mechanism and I'm terrified to have it taken away. I'm also so scared that if I'm not allowed to smile, then I'll become depressed like my mum. Wow. I was so, so confused at that time. Funny, you know, like I can still put on that mask today and catch myself smiling when I don't know if I'm perhaps uncomfortable in a situation or if I'm feeling insecure or vulnerable, like that's my default. Yeah. Good to be aware of it though, right? Jumping ahead a little bit, I then talk about going into changes, which was almost like a level up in terms of going into the childhood trauma stuff. And that was a week long intensive period of therapy. And the reason I wanted to mention this was because what I found was my experience at the end of that week doing changes was a lot of my stuff came back up to the surface. So I was about what I would have been in there for just over two weeks by the time I started that process. So let's call it 15 days sober. And like I mentioned, it was in around day eight that I started to really feel my feelings and that was incredibly painful. And then in day 15, they do this very carefully, by the way, I I started doing more of this somatic healing where I was looking at the trauma that was actually stored in my body, things that I had perhaps completely forgotten about, things that I didn't want to look at shame that I'd been carrying for many, many years that I needed to give back to my primary caregivers. All of that stuff came to the surface. And this was over a five day period where you do two major processes. And I remember finishing changes on the Friday and they don't let you discharge from the hospital on that day for very specific reasons, which I then found out because for me, It was the first time that I really had the desire to want to drink and use since going into rehab. And I believe I now understand that to be because of the fact that the emotion that had come to the surface was so raw and so uncomfortable and my body didn't know how to process it. You know, I'd been picking up a drink or a drug or a cigarette for 20 years to handle those painful emotions. And so all of a sudden, I remember I was taken to an NA meeting that night and I shared from the floor how I was feeling and I cried, which is not something that I used to do, especially in public. Like I just wasn't a big crier, I don't think, because I wasn't really connected to my emotions. But I remember crying and sharing from the floor. And then I was taken back to rehab and I just had to sit in my room and feel it. There were no distractions. There was no TV. I didn't have my phone. Couldn't binge on sugar. Like there was nothing except to feel my emotions. And that was really one of the first times that I think I'd ever done that in my life. And like everything in this recovery journey for me, once I learn something, what I have to then do is show up consistently and repeat the behavior for it to become embedded, for it to become the new natural thought. And I need to work that muscle. So I can now do this. Relatively comfortably. I mean, it can still not feel great, but I know what to do in that moment. Like my head knows I have a choice. I can sit in the pause and make a really considered decision when I'm activated. But that—that was the first time I'd done it, and so now I'm talking about four years later that it's—it's taken me probably that long to really master that. And I certainly always stress that it's progress, not perfection. Like I—I do not do it perfectly by any stretch. And so. I came out of rehab a few days after that, and what was really crazy about that first year of sobriety for me was there was a lot going on. I think for anybody in their first year, it's it's a really painful experience and because you're learning how to do life without anything to blunt the edges, right? As I was saying, that could be really, really uncomfortable, and not that my story was any more challenging than anyone else's, but the uniqueness of my story and anybody else that got sober in 2020 was that. When I came out of rehab, I was actually reading through my diary just the other day. I realized that when I was picked up, my, my husband at the time picked me up from rehab and we drove to a supermarket to pick up some essentials because we both hadn't been in the house for quite a while. And I was journaling about how we, that all of the toilet paper had been taken off the shelves. So this was the very, very start of the pandemic. And I was also writing in my journal, you know, I really hope that I can get back into rehab next week to do my aftercare. There was a two-week transitions program where it was a day program. You didn't stay on site, but you had that additional therapy and counseling. And then I was also, I had the intention of doing family program with my husband. And what I didn't realize was that none of that was going to be available. That was all taken off the table because the week later we went into lockdown and that was in Sydney and we stayed in lockdown for a few months. And so all of those additional tools, all of those additional support systems, I didn't have. And so I really am proud of myself for getting through that time. Looking back, like I'm thinking, wow, I really had to just trust and listen to people who were more sober than me to work out how they were navigating this chapter And of course, Zoom came into all of our lives. And so I was really, really lucky because those 12-step meetings that I was doing were online. Unfortunately, at the time, the rehab hadn't gotten their programs online, so I wasn't able to do the aftercare, as I mentioned, but I was able to get to a meeting every single day online. I remember I would do an 8 a.m. meeting and then I would be in front of my computer all ready to start work at 9 a.m. Because of course, the other thing that I did, and this is not necessarily standard practice. I think a lot of people do take some time off to reintegrate after rehab, but that wasn't my experience. I went straight back into full-time work. And so I remember my boss saying to me at the time, you're coming back into a very different environment. And I didn't really know what that meant at the time, but of course, you know, the beauty of hindsight, I now realize that I was going to be managing a team virtually for the next almost 2 years which was kind of crazy. And what was also really really challenging in that first year for me was navigating my relationship. So I've actually had my ex-husband Max on the podcast before, which is why I talk openly about this. I have his permission to do so. And if you haven't listened to that episode, I think it's episode number 4 way back. <laughs> but you'll know if you've listened to that episode that When I came out of rehab, my husband was still in active addiction. He was a heavy weed smoker. And so what I tried to do was use the tools that I was given in rehab to be able to figure out a way to coexist, to manage, and to be able to do life because I very much deeply wanted that relationship to work. And again, reading through my diary, I can see that. And so I tried to set boundaries and we set up some boundaries. For instance, I said, you know, please don't smoke Monday to Friday. Please don't smoke in the house and don't be high in front of me. But as I started to read through the pages, my heart really broke because I realized that unfortunately, he, he just wasn't able to, to stick to that. And I, I have no anger and no animosity towards him for that, because I understand that that's what happens in addiction. We don't actually have a choice and we'll choose the substance over the people we love, which is what's so devastating about this disease. And as I read through the pages, you know, there was a lot of sadness because I I just kept writing, you know, I want this to change. I want him to get well, but I didn't know what to do. And over time, it started to become more and more clear to me that I wasn't safe in that environment. And what I meant by that was that my sobriety wasn't safe because I found his addiction to be quite a strong trigger for me because I felt like when he was smoking, he was detached from the relationship. Then I started to feel lonely, and my solution to that had always been to drink. So, again, looking back at that version of me, like I actually just have this feeling of deep pride for getting through that chapter because it was so incredibly painful. And the way I did that was by being willing to do what I needed to do. And so, when I'm talking to people who are in early recovery today, And I share the things that I did that worked, that were shared to me by an older sober member. When I see the resistance, it worries me because I know for a fact that the reason I'm here today at four years is because I had willingness and I was prepared to do whatever it would take to stay sober. And I protected my recovery with everything that I had. And that meant doing things that didn't feel comfortable. You know, I won't go into detail of what's involved in the 12 steps, but there's a lot of things that you are asked to do, suggested to do that aren't necessarily something that you really want to do, but it worked for me. And just showing up every day and trusting and little things like handing it over and starting to develop a relationship with something that I didn't even know what it was, but I knew it was greater than me. Like I really did do that from the very beginning actually couldn't remember it but reading back through my diary I can see myself praying journaling writing practicing gratitude all of those things that I started to develop so that I could lay a really strong foundation for my recovery and so this challenging period went on for about a year and I've mentioned this before on the podcast but they do say that you shouldn't make any big decisions in your first 12 months and I took everything that was recommended to me verbatim Literally, and so I, I I figured out a way to keep myself safe. I came down to Melbourne and spent some time with my family. My husband did end up going to rehab and then coming out again, but unfortunately, the marriage wasn't to survive and at one year sober is when I decided to leave that marriage and actually move down to Melbourne. So side note, I'm going to the Taylor Swift concert on Saturday night, and so I thought, why not map these? four seasons into errors. So zero to one was the resilience error. Now I want to take you through year one to two, which was very much the rebirth error. So as I mentioned, I, I, my marriage ended, I moved back to Melbourne, which was my hometown. I'd been in Sydney for eight years, which was crazy. Funnily enough, I'd never intended on going to Sydney for that long at all. I will admit there was definitely a part of me that moved cities, I think, unconsciously because I wanted to be able to just get away with the behavior that I had at the time the, the drinking, the drugging, all that kind of stuff. But there was actually also uh, a relationship that took me up there. And I don't really like to go into the details about this relationship, but I kind of need to give you some context because that relationship re emerged into my life again in this rebirth era, which was actually really really challenging so at the time back in 2014 I had started I'd had a bit of a summer fling with an ex that I dated way back when so it was about eight years later and we'd had this summer romance and then he was living in Sydney at the time and things looked to be going well and so I said well look why don't I move up we can be closer together and so I made that happen I set the wheels in motion. I ended up taking a demotion at work, stepped down so that I could make the move. But I wanted to make this sacrifice because I wanted to be with this person, right? Let's just call him John. I wanted to be with John. And so I moved up to Sydney and I think it was about two weeks later, John said to me, he'd been away for work for a week and he came back. And I could tell while he was away, he was a bit distant, things were a bit off. But I didn't want to get too in my head about it. And anyway, he came back and said to me that he he just wasn't ready for a relationship and, he, you know, things were probably going a bit too quickly. And I was just so shocked. Like I cannot tell you how shocked I was. It felt like it had seemingly come out of nowhere. And, you know, I'd, I'd just moved my life up to this to Sydney to, to be with him and I was so confused, you know thank goodness we weren't living together. I'd had some sense to get my own place. I don't know why. I think God was looking out for me there. So I had a roof over my head, but I was, I was just in total shock. And I actually cried every day for, I think, about six months, which was insane. Anyway, the reason I'm giving you the context to that part of the story is because what happened in that moment, which I didn't realize at the time, was this sense of betrayal. And that I couldn't trust men. And because what ended up happening was very soon after, I found out that he was actually seeing someone else. And within about six months, he was engaged to that person. So there was, it was a lot to process. And even though I don't know whether or not there was any infidelity, and to be honest, it's, it's none of my business. Like, it's not really relevant. The, the scar, the trauma came from that, that, that complete shock, that ab- abandonment and really not being able to trust. And the reason I mention this is because this is one of the things that has continued to come up for me time and time again in my relationships. And it's still something that I'm looking at and working on to this very day. So what happens? I go through this breakup. I stay in Sydney. I end up meeting my husband. And so again, like there's always a greater plan. You don't know what's actually going to happen. And I trust that I'm always being looked out for. But let's fast forward back to 2021. I haven't spoken to this person in eight years, maybe one or two phone calls over another eight year period. It always seems to be eights. I don't know what's in that. I'll have to look into it. And this person comes back into my life again. And this was the, the craziest thing was, it was totally out of nowhere. He just reached out and was like, Hey, do you want to catch up? And I was like, sure why not you know I'd, I'd healed by that time like I wasn't angry anymore and I thought it was it was okay to do so little did I know that I was opening up a whole can of worms like I wasn't in a position to have this person back into my life I definitely wasn't strong enough and there was I don't know I don't know it's just I guess there was a lesson that I needed to learn in it but as a result of that 2021 actually became another really, really painful year. I was kind of stuck in this situationship, which really, really decimated my self-esteem. And I have to own my part in that, right? Like he was very clear that he didn't want to be in a relationship right now, but then there were all these like breadcrumbing tactics to keep me around. And so I would just like hold on to like the little morsel of hope that I was being given And, you know, having selective hearing around certain things. And, yeah, I I can see all of that now. And it was interesting because this was also the year where I was doing a lot of therapy. And I was talking to my mentor, my sponsor, every day. And I was getting a lot of guidance around what was happening. But I just, I didn't believe it. I didn't want to believe it. I don't know, maybe I was attached to this idea of some fairy tale, you know, high school sweethearts. I don't know. I don't know. But um, I am grateful for the experience because it taught me a lot about what I wanted but more so what I didn't want and like what I deserved in a relationship but also how I needed to show up to make sure that I was going to be able to channel that into my life. You know, again, like I had to own my part in all of it. And interestingly, what I was also doing at this time was diving deeper into the world of Vedic meditation. So I would developed a, a meditation practice leading into sobriety very much so once I started, and I was using guided meditation to do that. And then I really wanted to to enrich that part of my life that, and to grow my spiritual life. And so what I did is I started Vedic meditation with a teacher here in Melbourne. For those of you who don't know, Vedic meditation is a 20-minute practice that you complete twice a day, so morning and afternoon. And it's a silent meditation that's based on a mantra. So you repeat a mantra in your mind and it really helps bring your thought back to the the moment. So you, you can use this mantra almost like an anchor to hold you. But what's really beautiful is that Thoughts are welcome in the process as well. And I actually found this to be incredibly healing. There was stuff, again, still stored in my body that would almost move through me when I was in this kind of meditation. So what I love about Vedic is it's not about stopping your thoughts. No, quite the contrary. Like you can welcome your thoughts in as long as you keep coming back to that mantra really helps to lead to a greater sense of self-awareness and peace and, and spiritual growth, like I said. So, I think there were some key things that I was starting to do that were helping me move into the direction of the person that I wanted to be, but I was still very much on the journey. And, like I said, I was doing a lot of therapy at the time. I was still messy. I was still making a lot of mistakes, selective hearing, selective listening, all that kind of stuff. But I did experience a lot of personal growth. At the end of 2021, that was hard so that was my first christmas out of my marriage and what came up for me at that time was a lot of grief i was mourning the marriage i was mourning the relationship i'd also had a miscarriage in that first year 0 to 1 i was mourning the baby and a life that i i had to walk away from essentially that was really really painful and full transparency, I actually picked up cigarettes again at that time as a way to cope and that actually that hung around for about six months which was way longer than I wanted it to but at the same time when I was talking to my sponsor, she she actually really encouraged me just to like give myself some grace around that, you know, like I wasn't drinking, I wasn't taking drugs and in a way it was almost like a bit of a crutch and I am not advocating smoking, like let's get that clear but I am advocating self-compassion around this stuff and, and knowing that we are humans and we're having a human experience and, and that can be really challenging at times. And you know what, at the end of the day, like all of that was a huge test of faith, but I came through it on the other side. Okay. So let's talk about the transformation era. This was year two to three, which was 2022. So. At the start of this year, I had decided that I wanted to go and do my yoga teacher training, which at the time was more because I wanted to deepen my own yoga practice. I wanted to get better. You know, I wanted to be able to do a headstand, which I think is very common for a lot of people when they're first trying out yoga. I now understand that it's not about the headstand, but again, I had to learn that. But I wanted to go on this experience and, and I'm so glad I did. It's been one of the greatest things that I ever, ever did in my life. What I didn't realize I was signing up for was this incredible transformation, this deep exploration, this spiritual journey. And really, as my teacher Nat shares, she's actually been on the podcast as well, Nat Commons. She's beautiful. Go check out that episode. What she, she guided us through along with Amy, my other teacher, Amy Cashman, was this journey from head to heart. The yamas and niyamas, which they form the yoga sutras, they are almost like the principles, the yogic principles, and what I was blown away by was how much similarity there was between these principles and the principles in 12-step programs, this design for living, the way we show up and how we live. You know, two of my favourites, which I'm actually about to get tattooed. The first one is satcha, which is all about truthfulness. And then in the program, we we talk about rigorous honesty. So there's that continual line through that. And then the other one is about non-attachment, which is called parigraha in Sanskrit. And in the program, this is all about letting go of control, letting go of the outcome and handing it over. So they're just two examples of how all of a sudden I had this immense feeling like I was exactly where I needed to be. And it was really what catapulted me into this next level of transformation. So at that same time, I had this inner knowing that I was no longer fulfilled at work. I had worked for L'Oreal for, that was coming on five years. And I loved my job and I loved my team and the opportunities that came for that from that had been incredible however had this like niggling sensation in my gut this inner knowing that I wanted to do something different with my life and, and that I was looking for a different path and so the YTT the yoga teacher training was great because that was starting to open up my head my heart that spiritual experience I had my recovery my sobriety which I was working on every single day but I still thought that I needed something else. And so I actually went and applied and got accepted to do my master's of psychology at Melbourne university. And this is an interesting story because what this experience actually taught me was humility and ego deflation. Now you might be thinking, how Ash, what do you mean? So full transparency, When I was deciding to do a master's of psychology, which I thought was a great decision at the time, I looked at a few different options, a few different institutions that I could go and do that at. But I wanted to go to Melbourne Uni because I wanted the ego boost, right? Like it's the most prestigious university in Melbourne. And I wanted to be able to say that I had my master's done there. What I didn't do was my due diligence. And so I started this degree not realising that it's actually a science degree and what I wanted to do was talk about feelings and I remember I actually went up to one of my lecturers really early on and I was like, can you tell me when, when do we get to the part about feelings, talking about feelings? And she laughed at me and said, oh, honey, you're in the wrong degree. And it was like this penny drop moment and I just thought, oh, my goodness, what have I done? And then I think a week or two later, I was in a class and we were studying transcranial magnetic stimulation, TMS. And we were having to do all of these mathematic equations. And I, like math and I, it's not not my friend, give me creativity, give me writing, give me English any day. And I just like tears started welling up in my eyes. I was full of shame. I felt stupid. I was embarrassed. And I went home that night and I really thought about like what my motive had been to to do this degree. And I came to realize that, yeah, it was driven by a lot of ego. And so I did something that was really difficult. I actually, I dropped out and I was worried, you know, worried about what people were going to think. I made a whole song and dance on social media posting that I'd gotten into this degree. And then I, and then I had to give it up. No, or I made the decision to give it up because I needed to honor my path and my journey and I needed to be true to myself and to not worry what other people were going to think anymore. And it was big. It was huge. It was a really big learning curve. It's also incredibly expensive learning curve because I missed the cutoff census date. So (laughs) sometimes when there's skin in the game, you learn that lesson a little bit more. I can definitely tell you that I now pause before making any big decisions like that. So I was just still doing my yoga teacher training. And then in April of that year, I met my partner, Damien. And that was a really special moment. You know, I've shared again on the podcast that at the beginning, I was a little bit unsure, not because of anything that he'd done, but he was showing up differently to how I had experienced any other partner previously showing up in my life. And I was very attracted to him. But I wasn't sure whether or not we were compatible because we're very different people. I am definitely more of the extrovert. He's more of the introvert. And there's a few, you know, there's a lot of things that I like to do that he doesn't really like to do and vice versa. But there were some really fundamental core values that we were aligned on. And I had guidance from people in my life that were encouraging me to lean in. You know, there was no confusion. There was no, like, he would always reply to messages. He would always show up. He would always initiate the next catch up. There was, I didn't have to question anything. And I think because of that, you know, I was so used to there being games. I was so used to, you know, like that previous experience, which again, had only ended like recently prior after another year of just headaches. I think I was used to almost being like, On a piece of string a little bit, and I and that excitement was what I was used to, and that's what I associated with being like the normal butterflies in your stomach. I now realize that that is your nervous system telling you, run. But that wasn't happening with Damien. With Damien, I felt safe, and that was weird. And I was like, "Is this boring?" But it wasn't right. Like I just had to learn. I had to learn how to be in relationship in a healthy, functional way, and this was. The first opportunity I ever really had to do that and what was also really really cool was we went slow and again that felt so unnatural to me every relationship I've ever been in has moved super quick I mean you know we're saying I love you within the first few weeks we're moving in together within three months like all of this stuff is just rapid pace And I now realize that was driven by my anxious attachment and needing to like secure things and and wanting things to, you know, knowing that that person loved me. Whereas Damien didn't have those insecurities. And so we did, we moved really slowly. We actually didn't move in together until we'd been dating for a year, which was wild. But it was also great because we, in that period, we got to learn how to do conflict together and conflict resolution. We got to learn really the nuances of each other without the pressures of living under the same roof. It's honestly like for anyone that I now talk to who's starting to date, I always say like, go slow because here's the thing. If they're meant to be in your life, they're not going anywhere. Whereas if you're rushing it because you've got a fear that they might leave, then they're not your person, right? What else happened that year? My gosh. Okay, I froze my eggs, which again, if you've listened to previous episodes, you'll hear about that. So, I won't go into too much detail about that. It was definitely a bigger experience than I had given it credit for. What do I mean by that? With the injection of the hormones, like I felt a lot of detachment from my body, like the bloating was really uncomfortable. I think it it kind of messed with me emotionally. And definitely my hormones more than I thought it would. And it took me a little while to recover from that experience, but I'm really grateful that I did it. I really, really am because I, you know, I I still don't know if I want to be a mum, and I feel like at 36 years of age, you know, I've got maybe a little bit of time. I don't know. You know, of course it's not guaranteed, but that was a, that was an intense experience. And it was also an intense experience to go through in a new relationship right I've been dating Damien for a couple of months when that happened but you know he's such a good man and he really held space for me to be able to go through that it's funny someone said to me once was he freaked out by that and I was like no like why would he be you know but maybe maybe some people are I I just he's a good guy right and then oh my goodness in the August. I started the podcast, the podcast you're listening to right now. August of 2022 was the birth of Behind the Smile. And that was really, really scary. You know, after releasing that first episode where I really opened up and shared my story with the world, like I realized in that moment that there was nowhere left to hide. But that was also incredibly liberating. And I think that was really the moment that I, that I like put my money where my mouth is, I guess, for lack of a better term. And I started to show up authentically and I started to really step into my purpose, which is a beautiful transition and the place that I get to live from today, which is complete alignment with my purpose. And of course, you know, there was still a lot of fear, a lot of doubt. I was worried about what people were going to think, what they were going to say, the criticism, the judgment, which comes with putting yourself out there, right? But the amount of Messages that I've received from you guys, sharing how the podcast has changed your life or helped a loved one. Like, that is the reason that I continue to show up and do this, and why I will continue to bring you incredible guests. And I'll share vulnerably from my own heart because this is my mission. This is my purpose, right? We're here to remove the stigma around mental health, trauma, and addiction. And the only way we can do that is to normalize these conversations. All right, let's move into year three to four, which was last year, 2023. And I'm calling this the ascension era. Okay. So like I mentioned at the start of that year, Damien and I moved in together, which was really beautiful. And we're still living together now. And honestly, I couldn't be happier. I just absolutely love that man to pieces. And it's by far the healthiest relationship I've ever, ever been in. I started to focus a lot more on my goals and my dreams. So I remember writing goals at the start of last year. And one of the things that I wrote down on my vision board, on my goal list of goals was that I wanted to do a TED Talk. And if you guys follow me on Instagram, then you'll know that that is actually happening, which is so, so cool. I had the opportunity to audition sort of towards the end of last year. I got through and the TED Talk is happening literally in like four weeks from now, which is so exciting. And I'll make sure I share all of that with you guys but what it also really showed me was that you know when I put my mind to something like anything was possible and that dreams really do come true especially when you've got that beautiful clarity like that that connection from head to heart that clear intuition which has all been developed from those foundations that I was talking about right like prayer meditation gratitude writing journaling all of that stuff that I learned way back when from that very first diary entry that's the stuff that I continue to do every single day and that is fully the reason why I'm able to bring this abundance into my life. I had an amazing year of travel last year, which was awesome. Like last year definitely felt like the easiest, when I say easy, I'm going to put that in air quotes. It felt like one of the easiest years of my recovery. You know, I think I'd started to learn how to move through life and really embrace all of my emotions rather than shutting down when things got uncomfortable. Again, I can still do that, but it was happening less and less. And so my world started to open up more and more as a result of that. So yeah, I got to fly to Europe and be there with my best friend on her wedding day, Georgia, who lives in Germany. By the way, guys, she is coming to Melbourne next week and we're going to do another AMA episode. So if you've got any questions, send me a DM in Instagram and I'll make sure that I answer those for you. I cannot wait for her to be here. I'm going to squeeze her so hard. I also, oh, and then I I jumped onto her honeymoon. So her and her husband, Tim, went to Croatia. Nearly forgot that for a second. And I I went with them, which was amazing. Like to be able to crash your best friend's honeymoon was pretty fun. So that was cool. I went to Bali with Damien, which was a beautiful experience. And then I really started to get clear on my my business. So talking about that alignment to purpose. I really started to get clear on my vision and what I wanted to do in that space. And I backed myself. So what did that look like? I actually signed up and started working with a coach, with a mentor. And that was one of the best decisions I've ever made because it really allowed me to have some direction. Because for me personally, like I don't doubt my ability to show up and to to work hard, but I don't always know the the way forward, right? And that's why I think whatever journey you're on, getting some sort of coach or mentor to help guide you on the path, choose somebody that's already walked the path. So you know that there's results, that there's proof that they've done it. You know, you want what they have. Work with someone like that and you're guaranteed to get there. That's my experience anyway. I mean, of course, you're the one that has to put in the action and actually show up and do the work. but Backing myself, putting skin in the game and making that decision, honestly, again, has transformed my life and allowed me to level up and to live in this beautiful place of alignment. Like I wake up every day so excited to be inside my business, to serve my clients, to show up in every area, whatever that looks like on any given day, whether I'm running workshops, corporate wellness retreats, my autumn retreat, which is coming up. We also just announced... An incredible workshop, Danny Carr and I. Danny from How I Quit Alcohol, which is happening here in Melbourne in June. So there's so much going on, all as a result of that decision that I made to work with a mentor, guaranteed. And in this last year, like I've really felt my world shift. Like I'm finding it a lot easier to let go of things that no longer serve me, which I think and is another reason why this has felt easier this this chapter of my recovery this season and I'm focused on doing more of what I love which for me right now is actually my business like I love my business uh, so I, I find myself spending a lot of time there but I'm also more selective with the people I spend time with you know one of my family members went through a health scare at the end of last year which I haven't really spoken about publicly because it's their story but you know, that was a bit of a wake up call and, and my ability to be able to show up for that person and to be there daily, to call on them, to take them a coffee, whatever they need. Like that's the stuff that's really important to me right now to keep investing in my, my relationship with Damien and to keep investing in my, my health and my spiritual growth as well. And so what does this year look like? I shared with you guys at the start of the year that my word for 2024 was going to be freedom. And that's really what I'm looking at. I'm looking to create more freedom with my time, more freedom with travel, more freedom with health and fitness, which kind of sounds a little counterintuitive, but I've actually started working with a trainer, shout out Beck Gibbs. She's here in Melbourne, who's actually helping me understand for the very first time in my life, my relationship with food and working out and like all of this cool stuff is happening. So I share with you now from a place of true contentment, a place of real inner peace, but it hasn't always been like that. As I've shared with you here today, this journey has been rocky. It's been a wild ride. And I I have no doubt that there is going to be some storms ahead. That is the nature of life, right? But what I continue to do is I continue to show up for my recovery, I continue to show up for my relationships and I continue to show up for me. I keep putting in the action because I know when I do that, I get the result. And at the end of the day, all of this is about maintaining a level of spiritual fitness so that I can handle life, what it throws at me. So, guys, I hope this episode has been helpful, if not helpful, maybe a little insightful. And I just want to say to every single one of you who tunes in and supports the show from the bottom of my heart, thank you. You are a massive part of my journey. I should mention if you want to support the show, you can do so by subscribing, by leaving a rating and review and sharing it with somebody that you love. Every time you do that, it helps the podcast become more discoverable so that more people can hear these stories so that they can feel seen and feel heard and get the help they need as well. So I'm going to leave it there, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure and I'll see you next time. A big thank you for tuning in today. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by hitting the follow button and leaving a rating and review. Each rating and review helps this podcast become more discoverable so more people can hear these stories of strength and hope. Together, we will continue to remove the stigma around mental health trauma and addiction. Remember to reach out to those you care about, and I'll be back next week. Until then.